Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and our first ever returning guest, Kelsey Schrader. Kelsey is our Young Adults Pastor and Rooted Director. She actually joined us on episode 13 of the Bible Savvy Podcast. Kelsey, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So now you're the Young Adults Pastor and Rooted Director. Can you tell us a little bit about what that means? Like, what do you do? Absolutely. Well, young adults is anyone post-college to uh, right around 30, and it's really just helping them navigate through uh, how to do this whole Jesus thing and walking as a disciple. Uh, So a lot of that takes place in community groups, but Rooted is all for anyone new to the faith, new to the church, needing a restart, and it really helps build a foundation in your faith and get you started on the right track. That's awesome. Well, as we uh, normally like to do with our guests, we like to get to know them. Uh, Eric, you had something specific that you wanted to actually talk to Kelsey about. Yeah, I happen to know that Kelsey likes to run. Like she runs on purpose, like not when ferocious animals are chasing her or people are chasing her, but just voluntarily goes out and runs, which I have no idea why anyone would choose to do that. I'm the guy that has the 0.0 I don't run sticker on the back of my car. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Kelsey, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So tell us and everybody that listens to the podcast, why in the world do you run on purpose? Well, first, believe it or not, I am not the first person, nor am I the only person who enjoys running just for the fun of running. But I really started uh, back as a kid. It's kind of been a family thing. I found out that I was uh, decently fast. So kind of stuck with it, and it really became a way to uh, really escape a lot of things that were just going on in my life and get to spend, you know, 10, 30 minutes, an hour with God uh, and enjoying nature around me. I just kind of like to get out there, clear my mind. It helps calm me down, keeps me grounded, uh, and just, I don't know, get to push my body in a different way. How often do you run? Ooh, well, now only a couple times a week. If you asked me this a couple of years ago, it would have been six to seven days a week. What? Wow. Yeah. Every day you used to run? Mm. How long? How far? Anywhere from eight to 12 miles. Get out of town. Nope. Every day? Just about. I was running like 60 to 65 miles a week. I'm pretty sure that in your lifetime... You have already run more miles than I will run in my entire Entire lifetime. Yep, me too. Potentially. (laughs) Maybe even as much as a used car. Oh. That just went over my head. (laughs) As many miles as a used car. Oh, I get it now. Okay. Uh, So I have one more question before we jump into today's passage. Is, Is a runner's high real? Absolutely. And what is that? It's... This experience where you've just realized how much you can handle and you've pushed past any mental barrier that you have possibly put. And so you realize you can do significantly more than one your body thinks you can do and your mind thinks that you can do. No, it's kind of like when someone is like doing one of those food eating marathons, right? And like they push their body to the what? point. Not to... Oh, Are that's... you comparing this to Joey Chestnut eating <laughs> eating Nathan's hot dogs? That is definitely a very, very, very different, different experience. <laughs> you just push your body, push your body so, more than you can handle. So, right? is a runner's high mental or is it like a physical feeling? Both. Hmm. 
it starts mental, but then it takes over. Like if you're feeling pain or anything, all of a sudden you you just feel like you can keep pushing forward. Like you kind of put push the pain in the back of your mind. It's like an so adrenaline. It's debatable like if a, it's mental or physical, but it's like it an adre- adrenaline together. rush type thing. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just one. gonna have to trust her because I'm never going to try to experience that for myself. Yeah. Okay. Well, Eric, what are we? Uh, what are we talking about today? We are in John chapter 20, wrapping up the gospel of John. And so we're going to be in starting at verse 24, where Jesus appears to Thomas. And so uh, comma methods start with context. So let's just set up a little bit of context. Uh, we're at the end of the gospel. And so, you know, sometimes if you're wondering, like, do I have to use every step of the comma method every time, every day when I read the Bible? That seems very tedious. Well, first of all, I would say you don't have to use the comma method at all. So there's nothing tedious necessarily about it. It's not an obligation. It's just a way to approach your Bible reading. So you're not just approaching your Bible reading as a checklist where you're just saying good Christians read their Bible. And so I've read my Bible today. You're actually trying to get something out of it. And context is one of those things that the the further along you are in a particular book of the Bible, you're not like consciously doing context every day. You're just kind of living in it day by day. Um, so we're at the end of the gospel, so we don't really need to set up a whole lot of context for the gospel of John. I uh, just want to point out two, two very basic things. Context is often about what comes before something and what comes after it. And so if you read the headings that come right before what we're about to read, you have the empty tomb. So Jesus has been crucified, dead, buried, and has resurrected. Then he appears to Mary Magdalene. Then he appears to his disciples. And now he's about to appear to Thomas. And Thomas is going to struggle believing what he's seeing. And then what comes after this is John writes the purpose of his gospel, which we have pointed out multiple times in previous podcast episodes, the whole reason that John wrote his gospel is so that people might believe in Jesus and have the life that he offers. So we're going to read this episode, Jesus Appearing to Thomas, and Kelsey is going to read for us. All right. Well, now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have, been, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may live, you may have life in his name. All right, so we move on to the O in the comma method, which is observation. What do you see in this text? I feel like the first thing that's that's obvious to this is that Thomas, right, affectionately coined Doubting Thomas, right? You remember hearing that when you were a kid? He was a Doubting oh, yeah. Thomas. Um, he, he wouldn't believe unless he saw or felt Jesus. Uh, so he had like this hard-headed stubbornness about him. Um, I, I picture like that's like this very smug attitude, like, nah, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it, unless I touch it and feel it, 
I'm not going to believe it. Is that how you read that? Yeah, that's how I read that. Is that how that comes across to you, Kelsey? A little bit, but it also made me wonder how the other disciples replied when Mary came to them and said that she had seen Jesus a few passages before. We don't get to see that, so I don't know. But yeah, I kind of read it with a little bit of that attitude on the top of it. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Yeah. That's how I read it. How do you read it? Uh... I guess you could read it that way. It feel it feels more to me. And by the way, we're just speculating right yeah, now. Right. Everyone that's listening to this, this is just you know Bible conversation. Uh, it feels more to me like almost it's too good to be true. Mm. So unless unless I can verify it myself, I'm not just going to take you at your word. Mm-hmm. Now the way that John seems to be positioning this story right before he concludes his gospel. It feels like what John has been doing all all throughout his gospel is pointing out every time people are responding to Jesus, some people believe and some people don't, and there's a whole spectrum of belief. And so the gospel of John is constantly trying to get us to ask the question, how are we personally responding to Jesus? Um, So I would tend to think that based on how John has constructed his gospel, that the way you guys are reading it is probably more right than the way that I'm saying um, but that that was inter- that was an interesting pickup, Kelsey. That Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, mm-hmm. and then she tells the disciples that she saw him, and then he appears to them, and then they tell those disciples tell Thomas they saw him, and that's a really interesting relay that I didn't pick up on. Yep, but we don't get to see their reaction; we just see Thomas's reaction. That's right. All right, what else do you see? I think it was interesting. Uh, when, well, putting myself in the text, which is always a little bit dangerous, but uh, whenever it says that the doors were locked and yet Jesus appeared, can you just imagine that for a second? If Jesus were to all of a sudden appear out of nowhere, that's that just is always a very striking encounter to me. Uh, so I can't read this passage and have that not stick out. Yeah, once again, there's a there's a pattern in the Gospel of John where John is showing us miraculous signs that Jesus performs that tell us something about who he is and his nature. And th- this one, so here you have it again where you say, well, what does this say about the nature of Jesus that he can appear in a room like through solid, wall, so- solid walls and a locked door and he just shows up? Yeah, I think I'd be a little freaked out. Yep. Yeah, I think that also, I mean, maybe that's a connection with him, with Jesus saying, peace be with you. Because it's like, right? can you imagine them being like, what? And he's like, no, no, don't worry, it's just me. Like, <laughs> I come in peace. Right? So, so what do you do with, what do you do with the, the fact that doctrinally and what the gospels tell us is that Jesus bodily resurrected from the grave? Well, it's just a ghost or a spirit that he bodily resurrected, right? Because the gospels go out of their way to say like he ate food. Mm-hmm. after he was resurrected, which seems to be trying to tell us this wasn't just like his spirit rose, his body rose. Now, But this one feels more ghost-ish to show up in a room with a locked door. So I would what do you say do with it that? does until he says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, mm-hmm. reach out your hand and put it into my side. So now how- all of a sudden you have the human body again. Yeah. So how did he get in the room? This is an awesome question, isn't it? 
I my 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 bet is, and we can't get them to tell us the people that are listening to this podcast right now. I would bet that at least half of the readers of this story just assume ghost without yeah. even thinking about what you just pointed out, Kelsey, which is, but not just like a minute later, he's telling Thomas to touch his body. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's so it's so fun to think about that. How did he get in the room? This is like one of those. It's like reverse escape room. Yeah, I was going to say, exactly. <laughs> yep. Is that what you were going to say, reverse I escape was, room? I was yeah. going to say that. It's true. All right. What else do you see? Um, I picked up on uh, just Jesus. He gets there in the room and he, he calls Thomas out. Mm-hmm. Um, and he repeats word for word pretty much what Thomas said. You know, like, like Kelsey was saying, put your finger here, put your hand here. You know, reach out and touch my side. And in that moment, it's not only like, obviously Jesus was not there at the time that Thomas said it, but Jesus being God, being all-knowing, knew what Thomas had said without even being there. And so that even of itself, with this resurrected body, but also repeating word for word what Thomas had said, that's, that's like, that's enough to... Like, like Thomas, my Lord, my God, like, whoa, gosh. Like, yeah, I, you're reading my just, mail. Exactly, yeah. It's, yeah, which is another thing we see throughout the Gospels is that Jesus often knew what was in the hearts of people that he was talking with, right? So you get, you get two really interesting takes, not takes, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Two very interesting descriptions of a post-resurrection Jesus. One is bodily resurrected, but somehow can get into rooms physically, <laughs> That's right. so bizarre still as I say it out loud. And he knows what's in the hearts and minds of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Nikki, going off of that, what I loved was, and makes it even more believable, is it'd be interesting if Thomas said what he said of, I need to see Jesus's hands, I need to see his side to believe. And then just five minutes later, Jesus appeared like, oh, Jesus is on the other side of the door eavesdropping. But it was a week later, yeah. is what the text said. So that makes it even more amazing to recognize the omnipotence, all-knowing power of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I see is when, when Thomas says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, uh, which caused me to go down and remind myself by looking at the, at the footnotes, uh, some of the commentary, the study notes in a study Bible, to remind myself about crucifixion and how people were crucified. And, you know, often, most often in Roman crucifixion, the arms were tied to the crossbar. And because crucifixion was about public display, making a point, um, and so they wanted the crucifixion to go slowly. Uh, But every once in a while, they would also drive spikes or nails through the wrists or the hands of the person that was already tied to the crossbar. Um, and it made the it made the death come more quickly, but it was also much more excruciatingly painful. And so I, I I'm the kind of person when I'm reading this. I always like to remind myself of this stuff because I I always am thinking thoughts like, okay, really, like nails in a hand could not possibly hold up someone's full body weight. These are the kinds of things I I think. And so I'm always trying to like verify how could this how could this be true? How does this make any sense in a real world? And so. Uh, I think I think the most logical answer is that his arms were tied up to that crossbar, and then they drove nails and spikes through his wrists or hands. Also, anything else you guys see in this text? Observations? 
oh, before you before you answer any more observations, hey, get this. Yeah. So when we did the the live podcast episode, uh-huh. uh, and I, I had mentioned that often observations is like the highlights magazine where it says find the ten hidden garden tools in the jungle scene. Yeah. So someone from our DeKalb campus who was at church that weekend saw the live episode, or maybe they weren't at church and maybe they just heard the episode. In any case, in the mail, I got a massive book. Yes. Of it's like a 150-page book of all the highlights, jungle scenes, find the hidden pictures in the jungle scenes. So Aww, that's amazing. That's that's, awesome. that's kind of fun. It's that's, sitting on it's sitting on my desk right now. That's love right there. So what else do you guys see in the jungle scene? Any more hidden garden tools that you see before we move on? Uh, one of the other things that I saw, uh, verse 29, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And I feel like that, you know, speaking to all future believers, um, and, I, and it ties to the purpose of John's gospel in verse 30, 31, um, where, where John says these miracles were written in the book to help us believe and you know we're the ones that we can't see Jesus, so we're believing by reading this book or by hearing people talk about it. And I, I feel like that's that's to us, you know what I mean? So that was something that stood out to me as something striking. That is striking because often often when you're reading the Bible, you don't necessarily feel like the intended audience. You almost feel like you're kind of peering into something that was for a different audience originally. But the Gospel of John slowly takes on this feeling like, I think this was written for me. Yeah. It's an interesting thought. Like, I, I, I jotted down, when I was reading this, I jotted down Romans 10, uh, chapters, uh, chapter 10, verse 13 through 15, where it basically says that everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved, but they can't be saved unless they hear about him. And so it's just, it's... It's just a connection to that, you know, as, as we always say that, right? Like as you get used to reading the Bible and you pick up on things that's uh, said and confirmed throughout the course of, of Scripture. And so that was one of those things that came to, to my mind as something striking. Mm-hmm. Those are times when it really helps to build your faith to realize I'm, I'm reading a book that I can actually internalize for myself. And even though these writers were, you know, thousands of years before me. They didn't have me necessarily in mind. And yet here they are writing to us now as believers is pretty incredible. And millions of people all over the world Mm -hmm. have read this gospel and have come to put their faith in Jesus and find life in Jesus. All different kinds of countries, languages, backgrounds, cultures. For 2,000 years now, lives have been being changed by reading these gospels. It is a, it is, it's a compelling thought. Well, let's do this today. We often say that the two M's in the comma method are interchangeable. You have message and you have meditation. So sometimes you read a Bible text and uh, when it comes to message, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, what is the one thing that I'm going to pull out of this text today? And then you can, you can write that one thing down in one sentence and then go to a time of meditation, which is just prayerful thinking, where essentially you're intersecting your Bible study life with your prayer life and inviting the Spirit of God to open your eyes to see things. Uh, and so you can either do message first and then meditate, or sometimes you can meditate first and just prayerfully say, God, what do you want me to see in this text today? What is what is the message that you want me to walk away with from this text today? So let's do meditation first today. Uh, and in the podcast, as always, we give 45 seconds uh, for meditation. 
And here is, we're just going to read the verse, verse 29, and meditate on this for 45, 45 seconds. When Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. All right, so we're going to move on to the next M in the comma method, which is message. What message can we draw from this text today? Uh, Really, the message that uh, I was drawn to was in the end of verse 27 and 29, uh, where Jesus had said, stop doubting and believe. And then he went on to say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I think really pulling those two together Uh, is overall the whole message of this passage is stop doubting and believe because you are blessed when you believe, even if you do not see. Yeah, my message was uh, right out of verse 27 is stop doubting and believe. Um, Yeah, that's that's the whole passage for me. Uh, Mine would be, it's okay to doubt, but don't stay there. And what, what, what I mean by that is we all have questions. We all have things that don't make sense to us when we, are, when we learn new things about God, whether we're reading the Bible or we hear something preached or we experience something in our lives. We, I mean, God is infinite and our brains are not, right? So we're always going to have questions and there are things we don't understand. And so I think it's okay to have questions, to have doubts. And Jesus allows Thomas. Jesus doesn't say to Thomas, you your doubting is terrible and I'm not letting you verify anything. You should have just believed in the first place. Mm -hmm. He lets Thomas touch his body with the goal of Thomas believing in him, right? And so it's okay to have questions, but explore them. There There are plenty of things to read and articles and places where you can go to explore your questions and explore your doubts. There's lots of ways to investigate. And what we see in this text is Jesus stands up to Thomas's scrutiny. And if Jesus is true, if he is the son of God, if this is all true, all of your research, all of your investigation is going to lead you to find out that it is true. So your doubting is okay. Just don't stay there. I like that. All right. So application for today, what is your application? Well, mine actually goes from your message. Um, I said that doubt can be hard to overcome, but remembering God's faithfulness can make it easier to overcome that doubt. So my application was, in what ways have I been blessed by believing in Jesus? And just thinking of how has he changed me? He's radically changed my character. Just talk to my family on that one. Uh, I've been able to witness God transform my loved ones, but probably the biggest when I was really thinking about it was the amount of joy that he has given in my life for being able to just walk with him 
and have him be the focus of my life is incomparable to anything else, especially when I think back to what it felt like to just be self-centeredly striving for things and how much the joy that he has given has replaced that. So really it was a prayerful time of just reflecting on how has God blessed me from believing in who he is. That's really good. Um, my, my, my application was, um, to ask myself, you know, where am I carrying, uh, a doubting or smug attitude in my relationship with God? So where am I saying, um, nah, I, I know better. I I know better than, than God right now in this particular situation, or I, I got this on my own. So if you were to give Thomas a nickname, it would be Doubting Thomas. It would be Smug, smug Thomas. Thomas. <laughs> All right. Smug Thomas. Nikki thinks Thomas was smug. Okay. That's how I read it in that moment. I could be wrong, but that's how I'm reading it. That's totally fine. I know it is. Smug Thomas. Smug Thomas. I like that better. Also known as Didymus. Didymus. Um, my application is to remind myself that when I'm interacting with people, that some people are going to believe, some people are going to doubt, and some people like have an honest doubt, like they just want to verify and they have questions and that's legit. And then some people doubt because they just don't want to believe, like they're stubbornly dug in, like doesn't matter what you say. They don't, they don't want to think anything about Jesus or a God that created everything. And so there's all these different categories of people and uh, how they respond to Jesus. And I just want to be more aware that not everybody is in the same category. Good. All right, friends. Well, that's all that we have for you this week. Thanks for listening. You can join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. And in the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading along. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.